Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. The stillness of the house was deafening somehow, like all the sleeping people were vibrating at a frequency only he could hear, his family ringing in his ears. Start Without Me is a tightly wound exploration of family, love, friendship, and second chances. Joshua Max Feldman tells the story of two scarred people who meet by chance at an airport restaurant. Through the course of one Thanksgiving day, Adam and Marissa grapple with how their bad decisions affect the people around them. Nearly everyone in the book is flawed or broken, but curiosity and the author's witty dialogue keep us reading along until we're suddenly struck by the resilience of the human spirit. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature for the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Joshua Max Feldman about his book, Start Without Me. Hi, Josh, and thank you for joining me on this New Books podcast. Really happy to be here. So could we start by asking how you came to write Start Without Me, and also tell us a little bit about your own Thanksgiving dinners? Sure. Well, when I wrote the book, I was actually living in uh, Boca Raton, Florida with my wife, and we'd moved from New York, and we were down there for my wife's job, and I just wasn't really finding my my place in Boca Raton. It's a very different place from Brooklyn, where I moved from. And I ended up thinking a lot about what it's like to be uh, in unfamiliar places, surrounded by strangers, just that idea of isolation, which I think is really common in modern life. You know, we're, we're at once so connected, but the, the pull of our devices and our online worlds, like, sort of takes us out of the physical place that we're in. And as I thought more and more about this theme, this idea of isolation and being a stranger, I thought I thought about a character who would feel like a stranger in their own life. And that's really what brought me to Adam and Marissa, these two protagonists in the book, who are both people who have these in some ways very full lives, but just don't feel like they fit in in those lives they've created for themselves. And you know, Thanksgiving just seemed like the perfect backdrop for that because it's a moment that really forces us into family situations that we maybe avoid for the rest of the year. It's also a time when we feel this sort of implicit pressure to have a certain kind of day, a certain kind of meal. Uh, The truth is nobody really has that ideal picture-perfect Thanksgiving day. But again, we're sort of of forced into that, that idea of like, well, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. You know, my own Thanksgivings, to answer your question, are pretty tame. Uh, that was another appeal of writing a book like this. I got to explore what it would be like to have a kind of a fraught Thanksgiving. And Adam and Marissa both up, end up in Thanksgiving meals that are uh, a little more literary, literarily adventurous than the Thanksgivings that I enjoy with my own family. Huh. So you started as a playwright. And then in 2014, you published The Book of Jonah, also a comedy on the surface that turned out to be about loss and the yearning of meaning for meaning. What, if any, do you see as the connection between these two novels? That's a great question. And I really like the phrase yearning for meaning. Uh, that's a big theme that I explore in all my work. And particularly, I think, in the two novels, 
Uh, the characters in Jonah, the protagonists in Jonah and the protagonists in Start Without Me are people who are sort of looking for some sort of deeper meaning within their lives, something more whole and fulfilling, but they don't really know how to go about it. And I think in our own lives, it's really hard to know how to, to get beyond the, the material things that are offered to us. You know, Adam is a character who has rebuilt his life in a lot of ways. He's a character who is a former uh, musician, musical prodigy, and his life you know, collapsed for various reasons that the book gets into, but he's really, he's rebuilt his life. And now he's got a new life in San Francisco. He's a banker, but there's just, just the sense he has of something missing. And that idea of something missing in modern life, contemporary life is something that I'm really, really interested in and how people find a way to satisfy that craving for something more than the immediate. Let's talk more about Adam. There's this wonderful quote, um, there was something you became attuned to when you were an alcoholic, whose kindness you could take advantage of and exactly how far. It was a heartless way to go through life, sure, but when your priority was getting your load on day after day, you needed other people to help attend to details like where you slept, whether you ate. Can you talk more about Adam? Yeah, I'd love to talk more about Adam. He's a, you know, he's a character I've lived with for a while now, and I've, I've gotten to know him. You know, the, fir- the first thing with Adam is that I see him as, as, as basically well-intentioned, but he just has a habit of getting things wrong. He's one of those guys who he wants to shake your hands, but he'll come in with left hand, and you'll put out your right hand, and he'll, he'll put out, you know, you just can't, he can't quite get it right. And, you know, he's, you know, he grew up in music. He was a... Um, you know, prodigy, although he wouldn't like that word, but he was someone who's really talented and gifted for the piano. And I think he's had a little bit of arrested development. He just doesn't quite know how to function in adult life. And his awareness of that is really crippling for him. And he just can't quite understand the best way to, to fit in in situations that other people seem to be able to fit in without really thinking. So he's just someone who doesn't quite know how to be natural uh, in moments where you know, social graces are maybe called for. And he tries to compensate for that in various ways. You know, I think for him, drinking was just a way for him to turn the volume down on his anxiety. And, you know, having in researching the book, I spoke with a lot of people who struggled with drinking and drinking too much. And one thing I've sort of learned is that one thing about drinking heavily is that in some ways it's very clarifying. It makes things very simple. Uh, your life becomes about uh, drinking, where to get your next drink, um, how you can sort of build a life around this apparatus of getting drunk. And that's what that passage, I think, really speaks to, is that, you know, there's all this um, stuff of being a human being that we think about in terms of what we're doing and why we're doing it that can be sort of pushed to the side when, well, what I'm doing is I'm drinking and the drinking is what makes me feel good. The drinking is what I know how to do. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Uh, I also would just say that, you know, the other thing I learned in doing this research is that uh, you really can't generalize the reasons people drink are very different. The reasons people recover or don't are very different. Uh, so in the book, I really tried to be true to Adam and Adam's journey and Adam's experience. And I wouldn't want people to think that in that quote, I'm making a, a larger generalization about uh, what it's like for people who go through these, these, these problems, because they really are, you know, very different person to person. Mm-hmm. Guys like Adam don't usually get to be the protagonist in novels. He's also a, uh, really interesting in that 
he stopped being a, possess, a professional musician, but he still talks and thinks constantly about music. What do Adam's uh, widespread musical tastes have in common with yours, and how did you focus in on that? Well, I, I also have wide-ranging music tastes, and you know, Ad, you know, Adam is he, he's someone who is who was sort of born to play music, and that you know he he he, he thinks and sort of naturally thinks in a, in the sort of forms of music, which is something that people who who aren't born that way don't really understand. You know, he sits down at the piano, just everything makes sense. The keys before him just make sense. I, I'm not that way. There are people in my family who are that way, but I don't have perfect pitch. I have no sort of uh, na- natural musical talent, to put it frankly. So, I, you know, it's interesting to try to build up the, the thinking of a character who is that way, a character who is just sort of naturally attuned to music and the way music works. Um, the other thing about Adam is that, like many people who are very gifted with music, he's something of a music snob and has very particular ideas about which music is good, which music is not good. Uh, that's a way that he and I differ. Uh, I'm much more of a, you know, pop-oriented guy. If people like it, then it, there's probably something good about it. <laughs> okay. Um, your other protagonist, flight attendant Marissa, is such a sweetheart, but she has a troubled relationship with her mother never knew her father. So she doesn't understand why her husband is so negative about his father, Leo. And you write, quote, if Marissa couldn't understand precisely why Robbie found his father so vexing, the larger pattern was familiar enough. Your parent is your nemesis. Well, I should issue an immediate disclaimer. My parents are not my, my nemeses, but my father is not my nemesis. And same with my mother. Um, but that said, it's, it's easy enough to understand and to see how people fall into those relationships. Uh, the way we think now about our parents is, is very post-Freudian. It's, you know, the parent is such a big part of our psyche and for better or worse, there's just this expectation, this idea that your parents have this huge role in who you are and who you become. And, you know, for, Marissa, you know, her, her father's not really in the picture for her is really, uh, her, her, the really key relationship she has in terms of her childhood and upbringing is with her mother and really what she perceives as the awfulness of her mother and trying to be the opposite of her mother. And the problem is, you, you know, you, you, you run away from these people as fast as you can, but they're still so much a part of who you are. They're still defining you. You know, Marissa wants what Marissa really, really wants is not to be defined by her mother, but in making all these decisions uh, in order to not be like her mother, what she realizes is like, well, you know, I've still let my mother control me. So it's just a hard trap to get out of. I mean, whether you have wonderful parents as I did, whether you had parents who are not so good, like Marissa does, and you know, like Robbie does, um, it's just such a such a gravitational pull they have on who you are and how you think, and that's just something I try to explore and play with in the book. Her mother is such a character. Where did you come up with somebody of such distinction? Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, to, to tell the audience a little bit about her, you know, Marissa's mother is an extremely heavy drinker. She's this, uh, you know, old school Boston character who lived in Boston for decades and sort of mixed up with crime and things like that. And you know, I, I just wanted to create a character. You know, I love, as you can see in the book, you know, I love creating. Uh, big characters, characters with huge personalities and distinctive ways of talking. And that's really what she is to me. I, I wanted to have 
uh, one of these force of nature characters. Um, because Marissa is a pretty tough person herself, and it wouldn't make sense for her to you know have such a, a thorny relationship with a character is kind of a pushover. To me, the, the novel sort of demanded that her mother be someone of, you know, yeah, these sort of like great dimensions. And to get back to, you know, what I was saying before about dialogue and, and really we were talking about earlier in terms of music, um, so much to me about a character is shown and defined in how they talk. And I think the thing that really helped me in writing a character like Marissa's mother uh, was the way she talked, the sort of like big Boston, uh, brassy, forceful way of talking and sort of just, you know, like almost like a physical way of pushing people around with her voice. Mm-hmm. So I like how you were able to portray larger themes within small moments. You, we learn a lot, for example, about Marissa's in-laws, Robbie's parents, when Roz, the mother, asks if Marissa's crying, but it turns out that for an entire decade, they haven't acknowledged that she's allergic to their beloved dog. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. I, you know, it's like one of those little ways that uh, she just feels not a member of the family. And I think that, that those, those feelings are expressed in little ways. It's just those little, those little accommodations that her in-laws don't make that yeah, make her feel isolated and outside of the family that she really, you know, has every right to belong in. But the problem is they don't, really feel that way. And, you know, that goes back to, we're talking about earlier a little bit about Thanksgiving, all these little rituals, all these little traditions uh, can feel very exclusionary if you're on the wrong side of them. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Marissa's in-laws can't even take the trouble to remember that she's allergic to dogs is, yeah, symptomatic of a much larger thing and a much larger theme, which is this idea of, you know, being a stranger in your own life. There's a lot of issues going on in that family. They're incredibly wealthy. They have servants running around. Um, and there's race issues. Can you address that? Well, yeah. So, so the reader knows, uh, or the listener knows, I should say. Um, Marissa's father-in-law is black. Her mother-in-law is white. And um, so her son is a product of a, a biracial marriage. Or sorry, her husband is mm-hmm. um, the son of a biracial marriage. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to make any generalizations about race uh, this way or that, or, you know, some sort of, you know, loftier statement about society and race. Uh, I just wanted to look at, you know, the different ways that families uh, bump up against each other. And, you know, one of those ways obviously is race. And, you know, for Marissa, uh, it's just one more thing for her to navigate, but obviously for the characters around her, um, it's just so much a part of who they are. And the dynamics within that family are are very, very complicated. And it's just one more thing for her to have to try to figure out, one more thing for her to have to try to understand. Robbie's sister tells Adam that she doesn't think her father likes white people. And Adam asks, well, didn't he marry a white person? So Layla laughs and says, Roz is probably the white person he likes least. I laughed out loud at that one. <laughs> I was good. I was good. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I think we'd like to think that. Um, I think we have this idea that there's uh, within marriage or within families there can be some sort of solution um, to any kind of bias, racial bias. But you know, there's this idea that well, within a family, these things are sort of ignored. Um, but the reality is that. Uh, these things are, are particular to individual human beings. And as long as particular individual human beings feel certain ways, uh, those things are going to endure. Yeah. 
Marissa had hoped that Adam would turn out to be the perfect person to bring to a potentially awkward Thanksgiving. What goes on with that? What changes her mind? With the idea that Adam would be the best person to bring to a Thanksgiving? That's right. Uh, Well, I think you might think that when you have known Adam for a very short time, as Marissa does. Uh, Adam is a character who very quickly wears out his welcome. He's very charming. He has a certain he has a certain you know way with people, but he just can't sustain it. And inevitably, he puts his foot in his mouth. And that's really what happens when he attends this Thanksgiving. Is you know at first there are different you know different members of the family he you know strikes up a rapport with, but he just you know there's this sort of compulsive self destructive quality to him. Where he just he cannot allow you know normal social relations to continue. He just he just has to put his foot in it. Yeah, I don't I don't recall reading a character like this recently. He's he's quite unusual. So you illustrate Marissa's relationship with Rob in their arguments about his screenplay and about taking money from his parents. Can you talk more about that? Marissa and Robbie have this in some ways, really wonderful relationship because there is a closeness and a lovingness to it. But they have this reverse magnetism, which really comes from their backgrounds. You know, Robbie was brought up in a really privileged background. Marissa was brought up in a very uh, impoverished background. And because of that, their expectations for what their marriage and relationship and life together should be are really different and just makes them keep bumping up against each other. You know, Robbie has this attitude that, you know, financially things will work out fine. I have to borrow money from my parents, to borrow money from my parents, but you know, ultimately it's going to be be okay. And Marissa, because she was just grew up without a lot of money, you know, very poor, uh, her ideas of what comfort are, are completely different. And she's someone who really needs to see, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour, like where that money is going to come from. And it just it's just something they can't reconcile between them. And it, that's one issue within their relationship. But ultimately, it's something that they're just people whose instincts pull them in completely different directions, which is where you know a lot of the pain in their relationship comes from. Mm-hmm. Then Robbie's father, they were still up at their uh, cabin, so-called. And then Robbie's father threatens Marissa, and she and Adam end up leaving. And she decides to visit her mother. Mm. Well, it is a novel. And mm-hmm. in a novel, characters, you know, very often confront their past in literal ways that in, in reality we don't. But that is one of the satisfactions of it. You can always bring a character face to face with a thing that is making life difficult for them, the thing in themselves they need to resolve before they can take that next step into their lives. And that's really what Marissa comes to is that she realizes that in order for her to escape some of the traps that she's built for herself in her life. She has to take a step back and deal with a person who's shaped her psyche in so many ways and go, go have Thanksgiving dinner with her mother, which for many of us is a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. So, and there's quite a contrast between the Thanksgiving dinner at her mother's and the, uh, which is a bucket of KFC and the pre-cooked Thanksgiving dinner served by servants at Marissa's in-laws. Mm, yes. Let's talk about that contrast. Yes. Well, and the other detail about the two Thanksgiving dinners is that no one cooks in either family. Marissa's, when Marissa spends Thanksgiving with her mother, they eat KFC. 
when she spends Thanksgiving with her in-laws a couple hours before, they've had a chef prepare everything. And so the food is all, you know, pre-prepared, seems to be heated. And I think that says something about cooking and how much time we actually want to spend with our families. Cooking is such a time-consuming, intimate, shared thing that I think it says something that in both these families, Marissa's in-laws and Marissa's family of origin, no one's actually doing any cooking. Show up and eat, but that's going to be the extent of it. There's a certain intimacy that's missing. I think I tried to show that as best I could in the way these two families will eat together, but not spend any time in the kitchen together. And then we don't know for sure, but I sort of suspected that um, Adam's family was the home cooked family. Well, the home cooked. I think that's. I think that's very astute. I think so too. I think so okay. too. Okay. Um, you mentioned three other really sad Thanksgiving meals in addition to those uh, at the in-laws and her mother. So. Do you want to talk about those? There was a waitress whose mother passed away, and then there was the guy camped out for Black Friday sales in front of, was it a Walmart? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I guess Marissa's mother is one of those with her pothead boyfriend. We didn't bring up him yet. Um, special K. He's one of my favorite yeah, characters. That's right. That. Special K. Let's talk about that. Well, well, in terms of the, the broader picture of all these Thanksgivings that don't really work, Again, you know, there's all this pressure around the holidays to have the kind of day you've seen on TV or something like that. And I think the truth is, and I, what I tried to show in the book, is that we all have this sense of maybe falling short of what the ideal is. But that doesn't make our Thanksgivings inferior or flawed in some way. The simple fact of the matter is we don't stop being human beings on these these days when we celebrate these holidays. It's just an opportunity or a obligation to come together and spend time with people who we don't, you know, see all the time. So I just wanted to show some of the different, you know, sort of the landscape of an American Thanksgiving and how on this day people retreat in different ways. They feel lonely and sad in these different ways and, you know, gives, gives just a more nuanced view of what, it, what it's like to, you know, drive around on Thanksgiving, which is what Adam and Marissa are doing. Yeah, and that guy in the tent has been camped out for three days. Yes, and he does it every year. You know, he's one of wondering these, if was that from experience. I'm not one of those people who camp, who camps out in front of a okay. big box store on Thanksgiving, but I definitely find those people fascinating. And frankly, I can understand it. I mean, I'm not driven by the desire to, you know, get a great deal on this or that. But I think that character says, in effect, that he's not either. Uh, what we look for are rituals. What we look for are things we do every year. And those things become meaningful because we do them every year. So I think that's a character who, in sitting outside and waiting for deals that he doesn't even really care about, as he says, it's just about the experience. Uh, he's someone who's found um, something that gives him some satisfaction. And, you know, I think it's, you know, you might you might be a little skeptical about how ultimately fulfilling that little ritual he's created is. But it's just another way that we've, I tried to fill in the blanks in, in um, some of these moments. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that there's a lot of movement. They are in the car, out of the car, driving up and down um, a highway. They're at the airport in Connecticut, and then they drive up to Vermont, and then they skedaddle here and there. So it took me a while to figure out that it's kind of a region, like uh, is that the whole New England region that's sort of, another character in the book. Yeah. I tried to get as many 
individual, I tried to get as many states in New England as I could in their little mini road trip. Mm-hmm. Because that, and that, and that is a more of a bio, biographical, autobiographical element of the novel. Uh, I grew up in New England and that backdrop of 91 and Connecticut and Bradley Airport, those are, those are some of the scenes of my own childhood. So that was something that really helped me get into the novel, just this familiarity with the scenery and these drives. They're taking these highways and the scenes along the highway and these, you know, snowy embankments and, and all that, you know, that sort of uh, classic New England stuff would be familiar to anybody who grew up in, in the Northeast. Do you have a favorite part of the novel? A favorite part of mm-hmm. Start Without Me. Hmm. I've never really thought about it. You know, you get so, you spend so much time with these characters. You spend so much time in every scene. Um, you have, there are things about them every scene, every moment that you love. There are things about every scene, every moment that you think, you know, I'm really sort of tired of like living in that moment or that scene. But I think there's a scene that I like best is there's a scene where Marissa sits down with her in-laws. Marissa's there. Adam's there. Her in-laws are there. And there's a photographer circling because Marissa's father-in-law is a politician and they need pictures for the press office. So their Thanksgiving is being photographed. And I just think that scene really for me works in terms of what I wanted the scene to be. I just think it's like, it's funny, it's sad, it's affecting in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I'm just the guy who wrote it. But for me, it really clicked on a number of ways. And that's the scene that when I look back at the book, I'm really happy is in there. I sort of envisioned uh, a movie version of this. Is that something in your mind or no? Yeah, there actually is some discussion about that. And one of the things I'm working on right now is the adaptation of the book, uh, the screenplay adaptation of the book. So it may happen. Ah, so who do you want to play you? Oh, me? <laughs> you don't have to answer. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'll be in them. I mean, I'm just the guy right I mean, the Adam character. Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's you know, I have this background in theater. So I have so much respect for what actors do. And the thing about being a novelist that's often very difficult, and this is something I talk about with my friends who, who write fiction as well, is it's a very solitary art form. And what's great about writing for movies, writing for theater, is that you have collaborators. Actors bring so much life to a part, to words. They really can help you, you know, paper over some of the things that don't work, and they can really help you make the things that do work even better. So I would be thrilled to have uh, a person, you know, helping me bring Adam to life. Yeah. Okay. I'll look forward to that. So I'd like to conclude our interview by asking you the traditional new books question. What are you working on now? Well, in terms of fiction, I'm working on a book that addresses the political moment that we're in. Uh, it's not, uh, I hope it's not, you know, too heavy handed because I think, you know, writing that, you know, addresses our political situation can be that. But as with everything, I want to tell a very human story, a family story, but against the backdrop of the political times we live in, because wherever you stand on the political spectrum, uh, it's gotten very, very hard to ignore the news. So I think as a writer, I feel a responsibility to talk about the moment that we're in. Interesting. So how far are you on that? Not far. Not far. Okay. It won't be done in 2018. I can tell you that much. It won't be. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And I look forward to hopefully seeing the movie when it comes out soon and to reading whatever else you have on the, on the docket. And I hope you enjoy all wonderful Thanksgivings. Thank you 
too for including me in this wonderful podcast. Thank you to the listeners and I wish you and everybody out there in podcast land a wonderful Thanksgiving. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the New Books Network. Once again, I'm GP Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature. And today I've been talking with Joshua Max Feldman about his novel, Start Without Me. Join the New Books Network and learn both about my upcoming podcasts and those of other hosts in a variety of categories. Goodbye until my next conversation for the New Books Network.